The funeral is about to begin, sir. Good evening. You're listening to Morningside FM, the podcast where we talk all things phantasm. And tonight, the funeral is indeed about to begin because I'm joined by my bandmate, co-author and sister-in-law, Zowie Swan, to talk all things funereal. Uh, Before we get into tonight's conversation, just a little content warning. We will be going into quite a lot of detail about the funeral industry, decomposition and burial practices. So if any of that uh, might be upsetting, unsettling or offensive to you, you may want to skip this episode. Zowie, hi. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Hi. Thanks for having me. I mean, we've known each other for about 20 years and I've spent most of that time just going on about Phantasm. So this was inevitable, but thanks for sticking with me for 20 years. Um, it's been hard, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you go after this, promise. <laughs> um, just for the listeners, briefly, before we get down to all things Phantasm, um, tell us a little bit about you. So, yes, as you said, um, we are intrinsically linked in many different ways mm-hmm. by marriage and authorship and band. Um, so I'm the bassist in Discord, um, which is a Blackpool punk band. Um, seaside punk is what we normally get called. And I'm also the co-author of Convent Crescent with yourself. And I also ha- actually um, published my debut novel last year, which is called Chingle Hall. Excellent. And Discord sometimes masquerade as the never dead as well. I have yes, no I, idea where we got that name I from. I don't know either. No, <laughs> I've, I've heard that we do that too. Um, so, I mean, I know the answer to this question uh, and the listeners can probably guess, but when did you first discover Phantasm? This really annoying person <laughs> that I know. Um, yeah, I came to Phantasm through you and I'm really glad. Um, I think you probably were making me pass the test of friendship Yes. before you decided to introduce it to me. You mm-hmm. know, it had to be over a certain amount of years. Is she worthy? How will she react? That's why I don't have any other friends. <laughs> um, and I'm very lucky, I think, to have watched it on Halloween as well. So it was a Halloween evening um, yes. that we sat down and we watched it and it was unlike anything I've ever seen before and I think whilst obviously it's horror it was so sort of lynchian and the dreamlike aspect of it is that's what sucked me in it's weird it's weird yeah and it gets under your skin definitely we watched it on a double bill, didn't we? With Phantasm and then straight into The Devil Rides Out. We did. <laughs> Just making you watch all the bizarre retro <laughs> horror films that I liked. Yeah, not everybody in the room saw all of the films. I think no. yeah, some people fallen asleep, but definitely um, the two weirdest people in the room were hooked. But anyway, apart from the fact that you're one of my oldest and closest friends, there was a very particular reason I wanted to talk to you about Phantasm and about Phantasm and funerals, which is because when I met you, you worked in the funeral industry. Yes, I did. So all those years ago, um, I worked at a crematorium, which unlike Morningside, um, we, we do run them slightly different in the UK. And um, I was a crematorium operator, so I was actually there in the back doing the deed, shall we say. And um, we also did um, services as well. So we had a three-week rota. One week you would actually be 
cremating the next week you would be attending the services so you'd be doing the music you'd be um greeting the the funeral cortege um and then you'd also assist with burials wow. so there was plenty of time outside scampering about the cemetery mm -hmm. as much as there was sort of wandering around the chapel but sadly it wasn't as um impressive as the mausoleum at Morningside. You mean you didn't have a space gate? I didn't, no, oh. no. I should have I should have written a complaint about that, to be honest. Or maybe you just never found it. No, maybe I didn't. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. And, well, first of all, I'm, I'm English also and have no way of verifying this. And some people might listen to this and be very offended or very angry. I have heard from multiple sources, I don't know about these days, but certainly in the 90s, when you know, when enough time had passed sort of culturally for Phantasm to have become embedded in the not necessarily the pop culture psyche but the you know the the subculture psyche i've heard it said that in america if you have a gathering of one or more morticians there will be a kind of little silence they'll look around the room make sure there's no normal folk about and then say did you get into this because of phantasm <laughs> and the others will go yeah well, that's cool. <laughs> which, which might sound just beyond the pale to to, to your average, uh, yeah, your average punter. <laughs> um, so, on a you know, on a serious note, what was it that made you want to get into the death industry? So, I think that that is a really good point, actually. And I, I wonder how many American funeral directors do actually um, mm. meet up and say that. What would be the collective noun for a group of funeral directors? <laughs> A, a service <laughs> a service <laughs> um but yeah i think in my experience we all seem to have some kind of um trauma in common in that everybody that i sort of spoke to more or less had suffered a loss mm. so and that's that's obviously not for everybody but the majority of people that i spoke to in the industry they had in their youth or early sort of 20s suffered a loss and um were marked by it in some way now some people had a really positive experience and wanted to be part of it because of that and other people like myself unfortunately had a not so positive experience yeah. and it sort of came about that um the way i saw things being done just for this particular um incident not it wasn't for everybody but I definitely didn't want anybody else to go through that pain again. Mm. There were a lot of missteps, a lot of things that they shouldn't have been letting us see or do. And I just really, it was just the empathy of, I do not want anyone to ever feel like this, like, you know, again. So it, that's what drew, drew me to it. Um, but I do also agree that there's, there's also something else with a lot of people in the industry that we are a bit, strange yes. in some way like um you know this if you aren't scared of dark things mm. then it's something that you might be drawn to shall we say but it's interesting that you said i mean not to trivialize that but obviously everybody experiences loss at some point in their yes. life that's just inevitable yeah an inevitable part of being human but you mentioned when they were in their teens mm -hmm. or their 20s and it's almost like perhaps if you're not completely emotionally equipped to deal with something like that and it happens early on it leaves you with this sense of something to be resolved and yeah. in a strange way that reminds me of of the film because yeah. you have this teen protagonist 
And it's, of course, it's all about death and yeah. loss and grief and how, you know, how literally you take the fantastical elements of it. Like he's trying to rationalize this this process that is and you were well without wanting to get too personal you were 13 when you lost somebody very close to you yeah absolutely it was my um, my papa who passed away and um it completely imprinted on my psyche mm. and and i think that that's the same thing that happens with mike he loses his parents he has nightmares about morningside um just for the way um that the death care industry works in america they have tommy very very quickly mm, mm. it's like morningside already have him um he and... did die very conveniently close <laughs> very to close. the mausoleum yeah almost like it was planned no um <laughs> but yeah so for for mike it was a similar experience mm. and i think that you either when when something traumatizes you you're either drawn to it or you are terribly afraid of it and sometimes both yeah yeah and it's that morbid fascination it is and i find it interesting in terms of you know what you were saying about being a bit weird and not being afraid of the dark and not mm. being like we were both you know the, those weird spooky kids who wanted the the ghost stories and we wanted to watch the scary film not so much because we weren't afraid but because we were drawn to it, yes, we like being scared, yeah. and also it's that that morbid fascination to go and if something freaks you out to find out everything about it. Yeah. Whereas Don Coscarelli, the writer and director of Phantasm, I don't think was one of those kids. I've read his his memoir, wonderful book, True Indie, um, and he just seemed like. Oh, from my, I guess my British perspective, like an all American kid into like you know building rockets and and driving cars and he's frequently said that he was terrified of the concept of death and still is even you know he's probably in his 60s maybe even 70s now yeah. he said he still hasn't come to terms with the fact that he will die one day and this whole process was kind of like subconsciously him addressing that fear you know the, the films are fantasies or you know that they're not even supposed to be realistic that they're, they're they're fantastical horror films with this kind of underlying motif of, of of death and and the burial process and the but what i've always wondered and i'm sure what a lot of people have wondered is how realistic the portrayal <laughs> of that industry is in the films if you take you know <laughs> the grave robbing interdimensional evil alien mortician out of it squish down corpses yeah. into killer dwarves <laughs> yeah um surprisingly accurate in many areas and hilariously inaccurate in lots of <laughs> others um so for, for one like the one of the very first scenes that you see after you know tommy's died mm -hmm. And when we're actually at the graveside, yes. you see this big white hearse yeah. coming in um, and it's side opening because, you know, the caskets there in the US are so big. Mm. Um, it's not like our little coffins yeah. in the UK. Now, we do have caskets, but, um, you know, Tell the less listeners common. the difference between a coffin and a casket because they're often used interchangeably, which they're, is not correct. <laughs> yes, well, exactly. And I think the best way to put it is a casket is a big rectangular box mm -hmm. with a lifting lid, usually quite ornate, very, very comfy looking inside. Um, and a coffin is the thing that you see Dracula rise from. Yeah. <laughs> Just as, as a little sidebar, and I'm sure 
listeners know this because they're they're phantasm fans but the name of the film came from Edgar Allan Poe because both Don and Reggie were reading his stuff while they were filming it and they were stuck for a title. It was going to be called Morningside. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then Don said, you know, uh, Poe keeps using this word, phantasm. It's great. Let's let's use it. And um, whenever I have to write the word coffin, I, I always try to get oblong box in there instead because <laughs> yes. that was a classic Poeism. Yes. Anyway, sorry, you were talking about the, the side opening yeah, Whitehurst. So, I mean, and that in itself is very accurate to America, not just white hearses, but they definitely have them. Um, but they have, you know, these big cars with these big side openings. And um, and then it, almost immediately after that, you have a really big inaccuracy in that. Well, obviously, it's very, very scary that the tall man then lifts yeah. the, the casket. But the really weird thing for me watching it was why wasn't the casket lowered in the first place? Now, if that had happened, the entire film would probably be pointless (laughs) because Mike wouldn't have seen this horribly alien sort of feat of strength. Um, And if if they were having these sham funerals only to then take the coffins out of the grave surely they wouldn't go to the effort of lowering them in so you know (laughs) exactly exactly um but yeah so um there's lots of things they got right so especially in phantasm 2 there's there's more in the funeral home in phantasm 2 there's loads more and i believe don went to great pains to use real locations well i was only reading just before you got here just purely coincidentally i was i was reading about phantasm but uh, um, and they mentioned the fact that the um, in Phantasm 2, when Mike and Reggie are on the, the road tracking down the tall man yeah. and Mike sees the sort of... Vi- well, it's not really a vision, it's real, but it's a sort of a, a, a phantasm. <laughs> uh, and it looks like Liz, but it isn't. And it's oh, the hideous thing and they the set thing, it on fire. Yeah. But that was filmed in a real abandoned crematorium. Yes. Yeah. Which I didn't know. And, I didn't and know that. that's the thing. And so it really strikes me that because that crematorium looks like freddy's boiler room yeah <laughs> it really it's for you because i knew that the main one uh perigord cemetery yeah um was a set yeah. really you know really great set but, yeah really so good I was, set. And because the early abandoned one looks so horrific oh yeah i just assumed it had been made for that purpose but no that's real wow i mean yeah it really does look like a horror set yeah definitely and um just the scale of it it's absolutely huge and it's got this one sort of burner in the corner Mm. um with this huge space all around it and i'm thinking (laughs) what is this but i I guess it must have been in this in the cellar of you know a funeral home Mm. um so there's lots of things they used don like i said used real locations he um used the uh, tables in the mortuary and things like that to it even shows the drains underneath the table and that kind of thing so he really hit the mark I think on, on quite a lot of, of things um, there's a great scene where tall man's um, sewing up a mouth right and um, they actually do do that oh they don't so much so I've anymore. always wondered about that scene yeah so the reason that we sew mouths is because otherwise um, during rigor mortis, the jaw will fall open and the mouth will pull into this rictus mm. grin. That's, really, that's my, exactly what it is. In my head, in my 
Dickensian head, <laughs> we still tied corpses shut. Exactly. That, when I think of that, I always think of Marley in A Christmas Carol oh, when he unties it and his mouth falls open. Yeah. And I, for a twee Christmas story, it's actually horrific. Yeah. And because you are strange and unusual, <laughs> you know the reasoning behind yeah. that. Now, most people seeing that version of Jacob Marley, mm. they won't really get why there's yeah. um, an undertaker's cloth tied around his head. And it's exactly that. Now, today, um, some people who are old school still sew mouths, but they might put um, wax in there as well. Um, there's also things like little spring-loaded wires that you can put in the mouth. Wow. Um, there's all different things that they do, even glue, um, just oh to God. stop. And the whole point, so later on, you see... Um, when you see Lizzie's grandfather come yeah. back and his mouth's got all these stitch marks on it and things like yeah. that. I mean, maybe Tallman doesn't really care about his craftsmanship. <laughs> Why would he? Um, but the whole point is that these corpses are, well, these deceased are going to be on display. Yes, They're going to yeah. be viewed by family. So the stitches would not be visible. You know, no. these people doing this, it's an art and they would take great pains to make sure there would be nothing visible. But I mean, it doesn't look as cool. It doesn't does look it? as cool because yeah, that when, when scene... When you're climbing into a bedroom at night. <laughs> where she gets in the bed and puts the light on and then, then rolls over and he's there. Yeah. That scared me so much. I was probably about 12 when I saw that, that for about a month... I slept diagonally in the bed with my feet on one side and my head on the other. So I would know if there was anything else in the bed with me. (laughs) It's like, you know, they said that people were scared to have a bath after watching Jaws for me. It was scared to get into bed after seeing Phantasm 2. I still watched it every day, though. Well, that's your fault. (laughs) But yeah, there's a lot more jump scares into, aren't there? Because it's more of a straight up horror. Um, Yeah, no dream scenes. No dream scenes, no. Um, But inaccuracies, I would say, um, yeah, we've got some strange things. Like later on in um, one, we've got um, Jody saying he lifted that casket. Mike says it must have been about 500 pounds. Well, you know, caskets probably, I mean, they they can get really, really big and ornate, of course, but um, probably about 150 to 200 pounds and then the weight of the deceased inside. So I don't think Tommy was like (laughs) 300 pounds. No, No, he didn't. (laughs) Um, But still, it would be an insane amount for somebody to lift, definitely. Um, And then uh, there was one bit that did make me chuckle into where they have... So you, where you see actual uh, tall man and he's there and he's working on a deceased and then it, it looks like um, a morgue. So mm. you've got um, some chillers in the back yeah. and you've got somebody on the table. But then on the back shelf, you just have a row of urns of ashes. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, why do we have these things together? Well, well that brings me to my next question. Um, well, it's not really a question, but uh, something that, again, always intrigued me uh was this idea of if you take you know even in the first film morningside mausoleum and in my head mm. um but then you know as i've said before i just have this sort of gothic victorian brain but for me a mausoleum conjures a certain image yes or is it but and it's not morningside and yeah. i think of a funeral home as a particular mm-hmm. thing with particular jobs and yes. and i think of you know the church service is one thing and, and, and a burial is one thing or interring ashes is another thing. And a crematorium is kind of its own thing. It is. And in Phantasm, you have this, this is it a mortuary? Is it a, a funeral home? Is it a crematorium? Is it a chapel? It seems to be all of them. It's a one-stop one shop yeah. of um, 
absolutely everything. Death is us. Death, death are us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that is one of the biggest differences in that we see we really have different trades. We do have some funeral homes in which they have lots of extras that they can offer. So mm. you might have an in-house embalmer. Um, not that we use um, embalming as much as they do in the US because we don't really go for public viewings. Mm. We have private viewings here. Um, but they they definitely seem to have everything. And um, it's always intrigued me because it's not just in um, Phantasm. There's lots of other different American things where you see like six feet under and stuff like that. And you see them doing almost everything. Right. Um, and it's really fascinating to me because um, we don't do that over here. Yeah. We have a crematorium, which is a separate thing from a funeral home, which is a separate thing from a morgue, which is usually at a hospital. Yeah. Why? <laughs> is it a religious thing? Is it because our practices are just much longer, uh, much older, sorry? Yes, it absolutely is. Um, so um, for us, one of the major differences between US and UK um, funeral industry and I'm, I'm no expert by any means whatsoever on this because I, my all my expertise is in crematory yeah. work so um, I was never a funeral director myself however I've worked with hundreds and the, the main difference is is that here in the UK it's mostly still a family tradition mm. it's um, a family run operation it's why it's quite difficult to get into as an industry because you have it held um, handed down through mm. generations i'm thinking of the shuttleworths in coronation street yes. but that'll be lost on those <laughs> listeners yeah we've got quite a few as well in blackpool really mm -hmm. long-standing firms they all have their own unique traditions that they do um and it's something handed down where in america you can train and just get your funeral director's license the minute you've seen phantasm the minute you've seen phantasm um yeah as soon as it's ended and the, the end credit credits are rolling um and you can study it here but it's not often done in the same sorts mm. of way and um the, the similarity we have is that we do still have a license and go to school for embalming over here like they do there but that in terms of that all under one roof thing again it interests me in that sense that Don has always, you know, famously said that this film, well, this franchise came about from his fear of and fascination with what he has always called the American way of death. So not only is it this bizarre process where our loved ones' bodies are taken from us and changed and then ferried away somewhere. Yeah you can sort of put a face to that whole process in a way that it's more sort of fragmented in terms of British practices. Yeah. And then that's sort of where the tall man comes from, isn't it? He's actually the personification of that. Yeah. But it's... And then you can sort of not blame, but you, you have this, this person who is this avatar for all those strange things that happen, uh, like embalming mm -hmm. and like, you know, that idea of sort of open caskets and people go to see their relative and yeah. they've, you know, they've, they've been prepared. And yet everybody, everybody says exactly the same thing. It, it wasn't really them. Yes. And that sense that they've properly gone and they've gone somewhere. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, getting into the sort of you know the fundamental fear of the film and 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 the themes of it is like we we don't know where we go after we die no. if we go anywhere and it's that true terror of the unknown 
And it's funny because like Phantasm has this sort of third act U-turn where it suddenly becomes a sci-fi, yeah. which is really discombobulating when you watch <laughs> it for the first time. And, y- you know, you get this kind of other dimension, the red mm. planet, you know, whatever it is, wherever it is, seems to be a kind of stand-in for the afterlife. But but the, the interdimensional element gives it this, this sci-fi label. But I, I think the thing that makes cosmic horror what it is, I guess is going right back to Lovecraft, that fundamental fear of the unknown. Absolutely. And even though all the sort of imagery and trappings of, of, of you know, the, the, the funeral aspect of phantasm is very sort of traditionally gothic in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, it's the ultimate unknown. It's it's this idea that this person knows where you you know you think you go to heaven you come to us yeah. this this person knows and that's why it's so frightening yes and i think like it's very odd culturally that we don't talk about these things yeah absolutely and that american way of death yeah. you know that and i know that that was something that don was really mm. sort of inspired by um it refers to two things really it's the actual sort of financial aspect of it the the um vast commercialization of grief mm. and um the the way that it's sort of um sentimentalized and things like that and the author of the book um the american way of death she was uh, jessica mitford a very fascinating woman actually um she was the daughter of a baron so oh, wow. you know she had a, a bit of an upper class kind of point yeah. of view but she actually rebelled against her family completely um, because they, one sister was the best friend of Hitler and the other sister <laughs> married um, Oswald Mosley. Wow. So she, then she moved to America and joined the American Communist Party. So very, wow. very different mindset. And I really appreciate what she did with the book, uh, The American Way of Death, because she was basically saying that you're taking advantage of people's grief. Yeah. Um, but then you also have the other aspect which is the alienness of it all. And that, mm. I think, is what is so beautiful about Phantasm and why we have this red planet and why we have yeah. this this sci-fi element <laughs> yeah. is because, you're completely right, it's, it's alien, it's other, it's unknown. So why not be aliens? Yes. You know, <laughs> like, why not? But alien in the truest sense of the word. In the yeah. absolutely truest sense. And I think the thing that Phantasm shows us is the cost of handing over your dearly departed mm. to strangers yes oh there's consequence put. in the phantasm universe yes for doing that and this stranger in particular is very sinister <laughs> so again i can't help but wonder now i've not seen this anywhere i've not read this but then i mean there must be people out there there'll be lots of people out there who would consider the films in poor taste generally yeah there must people out be people out there in the death care industry that consider the films very poor taste and not just because you know it's a horror film with blood and guts set in a mausoleum and from phantasm 3 onwards filmed in a real mausoleum in angelus abbey in compton um which is gorgeous i love any scene set there um but the character of the tall man himself there must Mm -hmm. be people out there who think can we please stop being portrayed as being creepy and weird? There absolutely is, because I read an entire article <laughs> from the American Funeral Directors Association saying we need to really stop this trope <laughs> of creepy, sinister undertakers. You know, 
Um, and there were lots of things that they would like to stop, sort yeah. of inept funeral directors yeah. and the fear of uh, the funeral and mm. that kind of stuff. But it is, it is kind of what makes us human. Yeah. And also, I would say, you know, Phantasm, yeah, it's a schlocky 70s horror film, but it's art. And I think yeah. all art, it has a responsibility to represent, that's not really the right word, but present rather the the fears of its creators their hopes their dreams their passions but i would say that idea of the oh we need to stop this negative trope yeah that's all very well and good but you have to ask why, why is it, it a negative exist? trope exactly yeah and that's more of a societal issue that then it, you know it's a bit like tarantino and violence mm. in films it's like you're not really looking at the the wider problem yeah here um what about you when you worked uh at the at the crematorium so did I think things like that were in poor taste? Or? No, no, <laughs> no, I've met you. Um, no, in terms of other people, how when you told people what you did uh, for a living, how did they react? So um, in a job I had after um, working at the crematorium, um, which wasn't in a crematorium, it was in a call centre. And the um, people are very curious. Yeah. Um, like you said, that morbid um, sense of fascination with things. Um, anyway, they were asking questions and somebody started crying. So, I mean, I've had people be physically uneasy. Mm. Um, they always think, especially I think being a woman in a, what has been quite a male dominated practice Mm. previously, um, they are always like, oh, right. So did you arrange the flowers or, (laughs) you know, did you, um, just sort of sign get people to sign the book and stuff was there a fainting couch in case you saw a cadaver (laughs) yeah exactly where in reality when i had my interview for the crematorium um they did it in a normal sort of office environment it was the gatehouse for the cemetery and then they took me down into the chapel itself um without any warning took me into the the room where Mm. we had our three different crematorium ovens and uh, somebody was in the process of removing a cooling box, which was full of calcified bone, which um, had just been burnt down. Mm. And it, was it with, Sam Raimi? It absolutely was. Yeah. And yeah. um, without warning, Sam um, shoved this sort of box of bones, essentially this burnt box of bones, in front of my face. Wow! And said, "Does this scare you?" And I said, "Nope." No, I mean, it doesn't. You could argue said, that's quite no. insensitive, but ha- ha- I mean, get out now it was, if, if you can't handle this. They basically said that we've had four people in today who all said they would be absolutely fine working with um, the deceased mm. and they aren't squeamish and they have a strong stomach. And the gentleman who'd been interviewed before me was actually an ex-military man. Um, and then they'd done the exact same sort of shock thing to them. And all of them had either run out or nearly thrown up or just not been into it. And I, I was just like, yeah, that's fine. That was a person and I believe they deserve respect. Exactly. And yeah. um, that's the reason I wanted to do it in the first place yeah. is because I feel like every single human on this planet, regardless of how much they can afford for their funeral, deserves mm. the exact same level of respect in in death until they are either you know ashes or in the ground that's beautifully said and 
very respectful <laughs> in an episode that may be considered slightly uh, irreverent <laughs> by some. Well, that's his thing. Everybody in the industry has the most fantastic gallows humor. I was going to say, yeah, you, you absolutely to yeah. have to. So you can talk about, you know, these kind of things and talk about phantasm mm. or talk about whatever. But then at the heart of it, you you have this just absolute unwavering respect, which is why whenever that is called into question, mm. it's such a big deal. Yes, and I think, you know, bringing it back to this film, and you could argue, you know, about taste, but, you know, the kind of the sinister mortician element aside, mm -hmm. the one, the main plot element and the one it takes so seriously is that sense of, of loss and, yeah. and, and grief. And I think that's that's what this film is about. And it's that same emotion that drives people to want to, to yeah. be part of that world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but to be crass again, <laughs> I've got to ask the crematorium scene in Phantasm 2. How realistic is it? Well, I've got some bad news. Go on. If you were not dead. Yes, we are referring, and <laughs> of course, to the, the scene in which one of the tall man's uh, minions is uh, thrown onto the gurney. Yes. And thrust so, great tick there. We, the yeah. we do use gurneys. Yeah. Um, in America, they have... And, and in a lot of places in the UK these days, like modern places where I worked, it was quite old fashioned, but they have these fantastic conveyor belts, you know, yeah. pushing it in. Um, whereas what I did, it was all manual. You literally were physically pushing mm. somebody in like a witch into an oven. Um, but yeah, if you're in there and the door is closed and the cycle has started, we did not have any fail safe to stop that process wow so you have to really make sure <laughs> um because once it's started we're not stopping that um it's yeah you're in there but that's never happened it's never happened to me <laughs> <laughs> good yes <laughs> a few years ago um i was i was going to a funeral and it it just so happened that i was staying somewhere the night before with some people, um, I was staying there because it was close to where the funeral was being held. And completely, coincidentally, completely separate from this, we'd been saying for ages, oh, we must we must watch Phantasm together, that film you like so much. <laughs> and so it just happened that, oh, well, I'm staying here because I've got, got to go to this funeral in the morning. And said, well, let's watch Phantasm. And then there was a moment's hesitation and someone said is that in poor taste? Yeah. <laughs> is that appropriate? I said, I think it's entirely appropriate. Yeah. I mean, I would say that. <laughs> but honestly, because, you know, even if it's not someone you're hugely close to, a funeral's an emotional time and sometimes mm -hmm. it's, you're more there for the bereaved than yes. yourself and your relationship with the deceased. And it's an incredibly introspective mm -hmm. and somber thing for yeah. anyone. Um and again, back to that idea of those themes in Phantasm in terms of thinking about loss, but also, you know, you start to philosophize on the nature of life and death and what we are and yeah. where we go. And maybe the film is just a, a raw blot and we project our own, you know, fears and anxieties about death onto it. But I think it's a really good cathartic watch yes. when you're in that headspace. And And then I said, you know what? I think from now on until my own funeral, whenever I'm going to a funeral in the morning, I'm going to watch Phantasm the night before 
in the same way that there are certain songs you have to listen to yeah. at a certain time just just to channel a certain emotion and i thought it's it's not in poor taste it's not no. disrespectful it's it's me having some much needed catharsis absolutely because the film helps process more emotion yes than just normally going to a funeral and that's you know because it's through mike's perspective it's through his child's eyes his teenager's eyes and these unspeakable horrors of these people that he loves being taken away and then what and i think if you were going to a funeral um it's more seen in poor taste in western culture to show too much emotion yes. at funerals so if you wanted to process that before you went i would say yeah listen and watch anything you want to try and get all all those emotions processed so i can't help but wonder as somebody who worked in a crematorium um do you want to be cremated or buried when you die i would like to be buried i didn't solely work in a crematorium mm. i also assisted with burials I have family members who have been cremated and family members who've been buried. But for me personally, I would like to go back to the earth. And it's something that we have that's quite unique here um, in Europe in that when we are buried, we are buried into the earth. Mm. In America, a lot of the time they are in vaults. So that was another thing about the, the strangeness of, of Morningside is this idea. And it looks so gorgeous, that mm. mausoleum with those wall crypts. Oh, yeah. But as a as a kid watching that, I was thinking, what, what is it? Why are, why are the bodies filed away? Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like documents. They are like documents. Or, or it looks like a morgue, you know, yes. when, when, when the, the body yeah. is. We have a tendency to bury down deep mm. and um, they sometimes have a tendency to bury up into yeah. a mausoleum when well, we do have mausoleums over literally here. dust to dust dust to dust but when i think well no obviously as a diehard phantasm fan when i think mausoleum i think morningside but yeah. when i actually seriously think mausoleum i think of somewhere like highgate cemetery and yes. tombs and vaults and it's a very different thing isn't absolutely, it absolutely yeah um and yeah so in america when they are lowered down into the earth they are usually not always but usually in a vault or there are at least foundations underneath the grave which is really interesting to me because this is why you see an american cemetery and i feel like they look very strange to what i'm used to mm. um and that's because all the graves are straight there's no subsidence there's no subsidence and they would sort of say to us like well, why don't you use foundations <laughs> but that beautiful image of a gothic cemetery with the higgledy piggledy graves and i'm thinking of the ghoul gates in neil gaiman's graveyard yes book. yeah all of that comes from the fact we are going into the earth and there's yeah. nothing holding that stone up really no but not even it, time not even time fundamentally yeah I but live, that's what i want to yeah that's what, how i would like to end and is that from a desire just to be in the earth? Yeah. Um, and like, I really did enjoy cremation. Um, you know, like I, I would, you know, in a heartbeat, do do it again. Um, but I do feel like there's a lot of steps. People think that you are, when you go in and you're burned, that's it. You're a nice little pot of ash and that's the end. Amen. And that's not the case whatsoever. There's quite a few steps to get to that um, urn, really. And I just don't want messing about with. I just want to put me in a box and put me in the ground or throw me in the trash, however as, you want. As Frank Reynolds as would Frank say. As Frank Reynolds would say, <laughs> yes. Which which is more environmentally friendly, would you say? 
Um, well, burial, definitely, over cremation. Um, cremation was really thought to be such um, um, an eco-practice back in the sort of Edwardian period where it was becoming... Mm. Um, um, when it was sort of birthed and then it got quite popular and um, Beatrix Potter famously yeah. was um, one of the first people cremated in this area and did so because she thought it would have less impact on the earth when in fact, you know, those chimneys are churning out yeah. um, quite a lot of uh, pollution and um, burial into the ground is better but, you know, space, we need the space so yeah. do we really want to fill it with cemeteries? So yes. there's lots... Yes, I know, <laughs> I do, I do. There's lots of different uh, ways. There's, they're inventing modern ways yeah. um, all the time. Um, there's one way at the minute where you can be put in a chamber that sort of boils you at a very high temperature and essentially you... I feel like another uh, cult <laughs> horror franchise is about so. to be born. <laughs> Yes. The... Somebody's going to be boiled too young. And... <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, so we're, we're, you know, we're very much talking about this from a sort of Anglo-centric point of view. If indeed Anglo-centric is a word, I feel like it should be. It should be. But um, Western, I think, is probably... But, yeah. Even, you know, we've talked about the differences between US and UK yeah. uh, customs. But fundamentally, mm -hmm. I think we are very, very similar. And yes. our attitudes, certainly, to death oh, and dying yeah. and the death industry, i.e. complete repression and <laughs> denial, uh, are, are very, very similar. Which, which again, it, like we that we talked about before, kind of leans into that horror. And that's why we... We find these these characters sinister, you know. Again, just to go back to that, and sort of in defence of not in defence of the creepy mortician trope, but in defence of the tall man, it's the mystery that is sinister, yes. not the practice or, yeah. the, or the process. Um, so, what I'm curious about is how other cultures yeah. treat death and dying and and burial yeah and the answer is wildly differently yeah. <laughs> um and you're completely right with you know saying that our western idea of of death is it's um it it's not even just sort of denial it's defying you know you want to preserve people you want to denial you, is really good yeah yeah you want to they want almost just like you defy death embalm them i don't want them to look any different i mm. want them to be youthful forever or look the same oh We'd god did i mention that you know 70s horror and uh, it you just put me in mind of the amicus anthology um i think it's tales from the crypt uh where they do the monkey's paw oh. and she wishes her husband back to life but he's been and, embalmed and oh, he's just yes. screaming in pain and they yeah. take the axe to him and he's like you know severed all his limbs but he won't die and the hands are writhing around yeah. because again you, you were talking about how you did burials as well and it's very rare these days that you go to a burial mm -hmm. i've been to a few yeah and all the funerals i've been to where there, where there is a a graveside service <laughs> about to begin um have been catholic funerals yes because of course in in that religion mm -hmm. there is this l literal concept of resurrection yeah, yeah absolutely a, you a, need to be whole you need to be whole ground. yeah definitely and um even to the point where organ donation you know like no keep me whole yeah. i'm going to yeah. be resurrected but I, definitely... I always think of dracula yeah. a bit in whitby uh, yes. And uh, it's Mina, isn't it, talking to the the Yorkshire fisherman about the absurdity of well, what about the graves that are washed away? You know, yeah. when the trumpets sound, where will they be? Where you know? will, yeah, will they be? But um, yeah, so but when the trumpets sound, what about people who are full of embalming fluid? Well, they're not going to be very happy, I no. don't think. But um, yeah, it's definitely it, it differs all around the world, and that I think there are cultures who have 
they have much healthier ways of dealing with death. Yeah. They're not in denial. They're not trying to defy um, decomposition. Because mm. when we get to the very sort of brass tacks of all of this, we're not that scared of death or scared of the unknown or scared of where we go. We're scared of decomposing. Mm. We're, we're scared of the rot. We're scared of what we're going to look like and all of these things. And there's other cultures around the world where they're not scared of that. And um, it puts me in mind of um, there's a people in Indonesia where they have a spe- specific festival in which they exhume their deceased. Oh, I read about that, yeah. Um, and they clean the corpse and they dress it and they brush their hair and they took, take absolute beautiful care of, of their loved one. And then they will sit with them in their home and they will have a, a meal. And, As um, you are now, so once was I. Yeah, exactly. And every year that they do that, that they exhume that person, they are going to look more and more different. Mm. And and they're not necessarily perfectly preserving these people when they do that. You know, they, they are going through a decomposition process, but they're not scared of it. And they still feel very, very in touch with their mm. deceased, which is beautiful. Um, and of course you've got the the famous um day of the dead in mexico <laughs> yeah. and um you know going to the graveside sitting with your deceased and having a feast and you know just really celebrating them and not being scared it's you know it's a loving festival and i know it's kind of been absorbed into sort of western culture yeah and halloween makeup every and, yeah you yeah. see it yeah like all banded around when in reality it's a very important and beautiful um festival that they have uh, even where we live um nearby there are some polish war graves yeah and every november which for us listeners that's when our remembrance day is yeah um but the graves there are kept immaculately beautiful, the grass yeah. around them and they um people come <laughs> I, I think they're lurkers maybe from Phantasm because I never see them. <laughs> but the moment that dusk falls, there are candles lit on the graves. And Hundreds it's of candles. And it's a beautiful, yeah. you know, sort of sense of, of remembrance. Yeah. And it, it's not particularly morbid. It's it's quite, you know, seeing it is quite serene. You it's know? very peaceful, yeah. definitely. It's because the people there usually are at peace with what's happened. And that, that sort of penetrates. But, you know, there's there's lots of different ways that people around the world um, observe death. And it's not always in sadness. It's a celebration. Mm. Um, there's this um, great um, thing that happens in Southern Africa where they actually have like a multi-day festival. Mm. They'll have two funerals. You know, they'll have um, one where they're actually, you know... Second funeral. Committed, <laughs> yeah, having a committal. And then they'll have, you know, let's have a second funeral. Yeah. And, and it's it's a huge party and there's poetry and music. And it's, um, it's just a completely different way of looking at things. And, um, I mean, you also have the amazing sound in Tibetan sky um, burial where, you know, that, and that is such a reflection of their culture you know their i don't really know about that so when somebody passes they will go and lay their body out on the mountainside and vultures will come down and consume the deceased of course yeah you've got to think about the practicality of Mm. things like when you are up in really high altitude um there's not really the kind of ground that you can bury Mm -hmm. and how far do you have to travel down to get to somewhere where you can start burying people and 
in how long will that take and when you get into the stage where you know you it's not going to look great if you are carrying somebody during putrefaction down the mountainside (laughs) but so what they do is they leave the body out and it's taken by the vultures but that's because they see there the spirit literally flying Mm. into the next world and it's consumed and taken with the birds and i just think that is such a very beautiful practice and i think in in our culture we've lost that to a degree it's become that that repression that denial that we talked about that wasn't always the case if you look back to sort of like you know anglo-saxon photography well oh yeah i'm going (laughs) way further back you know i was listening to a podcast the other day um and it was a it was an american uh podcast and they had to clarify what the word barrow meant for some of their listeners because they weren't familiar with it i thought well of course yeah Yeah. it's not something that's you know here like it's 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 a a prominent place name because there are so many barrows and and that harkens back to a different idea of death and a different burial but um uh in Going back to what you were saying about, you know, the fear of, of the rot, we were talking actually before, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, sort of vampire myths oh, yes. and how a lot of that came about from people not understanding decomposition. Yeah. And, you know, that idea that you know, a corpse's fingernails would continue to grow. after They don't. It's just that the skin around the, the fingers shrinks and it looks, yeah. it makes the nails look like talons and, and, and you know, if people are buried face down, as they sometimes were, blood will pool around the lips and, you know, various things. And it's that that we don't see it and we're protected from it. When you are presented with it, it seems horrific and terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, like the tall man is equal to and opposite that because (laughs) he's what you get when it's hidden, when it's completely hidden and you have, uh, on the one point, a person who is alive and then suddenly you've got that open casket yeah. funeral, like Tommy in the first scene of Phantasm where you can tell it's the same guy, but he just looks a bit wrong, yeah. a bit too perfect almost, made up. And, yeah, they do. Yeah. And um, yeah, absolutely that. And everything about Tallman and Morningside, it's it's so clinical. It's just, mm. It's so sterile. You've got the white plantation house yes you've got the white hirsch you've got the white marble mausoleum you've it feels cold it's cold it's you give me them and i'll handle it yeah and it's it might might be worth mentioning we're recording this in pretty much the hottest week of the year (laughs) which might not sound much but in England, it's never warm, and we're in the north of England where yes. it's never warm and it always rains. Um, so maybe it's because I love some uh, because I live somewhere where it's always grey and raining. But there was always a kind of um, exoticism to. I know the film set in Oregon, I believe, but it's, it was filmed mainly in California. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks so summery and yes. bright, and maybe that's not deliberate. Maybe that's just how it how it looks where it was where it was filmed um but i always think you know possibly weirdly i always think of phantasm as a summer film and i always want to watch it summer yeah but then you have at the end all those amazing autumn leaves that are swirling around in the wind and it's that always struck me as like it is very summery yeah you know it's green it's lush it's blue skies it's all american and then you have this scene at the end and all these dead leaves. Are well, being, exactly, and I feel yeah, like obviously that's, that sort that's the of, point of no return. That represents now we're starting to get into exactly, the death. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing because, um, you know, the kind of obvious 
or easy thing to do would have been to set the film at Halloween or in autumn because it's spooky and yeah. eerie. But for me, and again, I don't know how, if this was a deliberate choice, you were going to set this film, you know, with the, these kind of sunny vistas almost of it, you know, the, the long shots of the street, like when, when Jody's on his bike and Mike's chasing him, it looks, and maybe people who live in that area don't think this, but to <laughs> me, it looks vaguely idyllic, you know? Yeah, no, it does. Um, and it's, it should be summery because, it, yeah, it's blue sky and ice cream and chilled beer, contrasted with that yeah. cold marble yeah. and 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 the dark that waits absolutely and, yeah and you're so right that moment where you have the swirling leaves it's when reggie dies it is and that's you know that's it that's because to summer december is the red planet it is and that's you know yeah that's the fear it absolutely is. Thank you so much for talking to me about all things death and funereal. Who'd have thought that we'd enjoy <laughs> that conversation? Eh? But just to wrap up slightly more lightheartedly, favourite phantasm film of the five? Ooh, um, I think it has to be the first one. Yeah. Obviously. The original, um, the original classic. I appreciated the um, actual sort of crematorium scenes mm. in the second one. Yeah. The second one looks gorgeous yeah and i think well, they had Angus the massive budget is kind of maybe this is sacrilegious but he's kind of he's more the tall man in the yeah. second one i think is he in it more is the character more well realized he's a little bit older and he just looks brilliant and oh, his voice is brilliant his presence is There's that scene where they go to um the abandoned town and all of the graves all of the coffins or caskets yeah. have been sucked from the earth almost um and it's just this empty desolate Mm. graveyard and i feel like that is such a moving scene yeah and for me sort of really hits home that this threat is real Mm. not just to their town but now to america and then hopefully you know like they think the world so um yeah that scene i think is one of my favorites even though the first film is my favorite there is a montage of shots at the beginning, beginning of the fourth one, and I don't. I, I'm always to, obviously that you know the first one will always occupy that special place in my heart, but the fourth one really has something too. And that opening montage of just bizarre clips from the previous three films yeah. is just so aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> and that is the shot in that montage that always mm. stands out the most. And it's really funny because it's it's one of the few. Well, no, it's the only shot of Mike they can show from Phantasm <laughs> 2 because it's a different guy. A different but he's Mike. got his, his flamethrower helmet thing on. So You don't know. Perfectly. You don't know that it's <laughs> yeah. not him. All right. Before I let you go, I am going to put you on the spot. Oh, my God. I've got Killian H. Gore's <laughs> unauthorized Phantasm quiz book. I'm opening this on a random page. Oh, dear. Even I don't know. <laughs> All right. You may not know this, but you can have a good guess. Okay. Which death metal band sampled the theme tune from Phantasm on one of their albums? Is it A, Autopsy, B, Entombed, C, Celtic Frost, or D, Repulsion? <laughs> entombed? Of course it's Entombed. <laughs> well, there's another band called Funeral Whore. You've I've got seen, an entire Phantasm album. I almost album. bought their vinyl just, <laughs> just because it said Phantasm on it. Of course, yeah. But you bought me the Zoltan one. Yes. Did you buy me that? I yes. know you got me the Captain Zorro disco remix, which is actually, I'm pointing like listeners can see, but it's framed on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> right, Zowie, thank you so much. You're very um, welcome. And I hope you come back and talk 
even more about Phantasm with me if if you can endure it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'll be happy to come back. Um, Where can listeners find you and your your stuff? Well, you can find me at uh, zowieswan.com. Actually, if I you know, still have that domain, I'll have to check. But Professional. Yeah. yeah, isn't it just? I think that's because there's nobody else with this weird name. So, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. So there we have it. Thank you so much to my guest, Zowie Swan, for talking to me about phantasm and funerals. Don't forget to follow Morningside FM on Instagram at phantasmpod and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts to be notified whenever we release a new episode. Until then, remember... It's never over.